Yes, we do. We do make mistakes, and that's absolutely certain. No perfect parents. Adam and Eve, probably about the closest. Um, and uh, they had a son that went bad. So God is in charge. Uh, we think about Dennis. He is uh, preaching at one of the chapels. He, I know he was told, told me Wednesday that he is going to be speaking at a couple of different chapels. And uh, uh, they they're going to grab him if they can. I don't blame him because he's a good teacher. And uh, so, But you can pray for him because he really wants wisdom uh, from the Lord about future, about what to do. He's home alone, and I can tell you firsthand it's easy to be alone. Now, I have cats that uh, give me somebody to talk to, and, uh, and I do talk to them, and I do love them. They're very sweet little animals, and they follow me around the house. And when I go in there, sit down and study, one of them will come up on the table. There beside the laptop and there's a bunch of stuff he'll just sit on top of the stuff and he'll sit there and he'll just look at me and look at me and i'll tell him uh, he's a good companion god is good he's faithful and uh, so that's probably nothing to share over the air but it's uh still part of your life and what goes on in your life and it's important so uh, i'm very excited about what god is doing in our midst and uh, i'm very very uh pleased with his work and his activity and uh, I thank you thank the Lord for what he's doing in my life and I I can testify this morning when we're getting back to the text this text is God's sermon to me honestly as he talks about being a minister and doing the things that are important uh, in that work and he's just he really knows how to to get our attention and to work in our lives. And he, I know he's working. I know he's working in all of your lives. You have struggles and hardships. Those hardships never come as a waste from the Lord. And we can refuse to listen to them, but God knows how to intensify the pressure. And he just knows how to get our attention. And I have to say that, amen to that. Uh, because as I was going through these verses here uh, in Colossians, I, it was just very clear to me that he's talking to Peter Jones and uh, so I'm really really thankful we have a good God we really do and uh, we serve a, a savior that never makes a mistake and uh, in the ultimate he were talking this morning about the crowns casting crowns and things of that nature the ultimate glory needs to go to him that's who he's the one who deserves it the fact that he would share his his reign with us and the share the fact that he invites us to come and uh, he wants to live with us is just well over the top. It just it, it boggles the mind. We'll be looking at that this morning. We're talking about the mystery that's involved in the coming of the kingdom. We started last week um, in, a, and, and you have the outline in your bulletin there, just a repeat of the outline of last week. I moved the lines around a little bit, but um, we got circumstances and commission. We looked at commission briefly. I'm going to back up on that just a tad <clears throat> but in our text uh, we kind of began in verse 23 where Paul begins he changes the subject that he's talking about in, the, in dealing with the Lord who is the image of the invisible God and he is the, the creator of the heavens and the earth and in him everything holds together and he's the head of the church and he goes on describing all of these things about our Lord until he gets down to verse 23, 23, he says, if indeed, he, he talks about the fact that, that we are 
uh, we're alienated and enemies and hostile in mind, but now he's reconciled us in his fleshly body through death. This is verse 22. And uh, he wants to present us before the Lord, before heaven's glory, if you will, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's his work. That's his goal. That's his direction. That's his intention. He wants to present us. We are sinners. We are self-centered. We are egocentric. Uh, we're lazy. We're uh, just obsessed with ourselves more than anything else. And uh, he wants to present this kind of people before the throne of the universe as his trophies, holy and acceptable and blameless. That's his intention. And he knows how to do it. And so he's undertaken to do that. And so now Paul comes in and he identifies himself. This is the, the work which I, Paul, was made a minister or a servant. And in that, he first of all describes himself uh, in the circle. The first of all, he talks about the circumstances of this. And the circumstances basically is that he's rejoicing in his sufferings. He's in prison. He's suffering for the gospel, which is uh, actually normal. Uh, throughout church history, people that take the gospel seriously. I've been uh, looking at a couple of uh, studies about the, the persecution of the church, not just now, but in times past. If the church is being persecuted, it's doing what's right. It's doing what it needs to do. And if it's not being persecuted, then perhaps we've watered down the message or we are missing something. And I'm not advocating that we do something to be persecuted. But uh, I am saying that the Bible tells us that those that will live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's, that's a clear st statement. And so um, I think it was Vance Havner who commented on the current church. And he said, if the apostles of the early church were to come back today, they'd have to backslide to be in fellowship with our church. That's kind of funny in a way, but there is a measure of truth that, so that we've kind of weakened down our commitment sometimes but the Lord, the pressure is probably going to increase, and I think the chips are going to fall where we're going to have to take a side, you know, take a stand. And uh, I just asked the Lord to help me and help us to be faithful. That's what I've asked the Lord to do. Um, because I, it, it's easy under pressure. It was to say how we're going to do when things are shining well, but it's a different story when the pressure falls. God knows, and he knows what he's doing. And he's sharpening the, his iron weapons, I guess, and uh, helping us to be faithful. So the first thing, with the circumstances of Paul's work as a min in the ministry, that uh, circumstances surrounding his work were that he is suffering, and uh, suffering not only for himself or for the gospel, but also that he's suffering on behalf of the church because of his work with the church and stuff. The second point, verse 25, is what we call not the circumstances, but the commission. The, the idea of a commission, I've looked up in the Oxford Dictionary, uh, means that it's granted authority or to perform a task or an important duty. Uh, and in the case of the Apostle Paul, he certainly was commissioned by God with the responsibility to discharge the ministry of preaching the Word of God. And that's what we wanted to look at. And that, that's one of the things that kind of stepped on my toes because I was supposed to stand up here and I'm supposed to open the word here and I'm supposed to, to proclaim it to you and uh, that's that's Kim says the job it's kind of the, the calling and that's important and that's a commission because it does come from the Lord it's his his call to my life in that sense and it's a very important call and so in that verse where Paul says there verse uh, 
25, of which I was made a minister, that actually backs up, if you will, to the previous verse where he talks about the afflictions of my flesh on behalf of his body, which is the church. It's the church that he's talking about when he says the church of which I was made a minister. He was made a minister to serve there in the church. Made a servant, made a, a servant, a religious servant, if you will, a servant to God, a servant to the work, a servant to the to the responsibilities he has. It's not the word doulos, which is slave, but it's close to that. It's a servant that's given a commission and a responsibility, and that's what he's supposed to do. And so Paul says, I was made a servant uh, to the church, uh, as a minister, according to the stewardship, see that's that steps on my toes as well. See, I'm standing up here. Here we have this word stewardship. I quoted that to you before. Uh, stewardship has the idea of a house steward, one who is given responsibility for administering the laws, regulating the proper conduct and affairs of the household. So that stewardship, that responsibility, comes from God, and Paul said it comes to God to me for you so that I might fully carry out or discharge the preaching of the word of God, the commission. So here is this entrustment, this entrustment of responsibility given to Paul, and also that entrustment of responsibility given to us if we stand up to teach. By the way, I enjoyed your lesson this morning. It was very good. Uh, and just appreciate your heart. I, I've been thanking the Lord for that for some time. I really mean that. Uh, <clears throat> but Paul's, Paul's commission we think of it first started when he was on his trip to uh, Damascus. And he talks about that three places in the scripture, but uh, the, the last one's in Acts 26, where he says, I was, uh, was engaged in persecuting the church, going to find track down the people of the church, because I thought that they were blaspheming, and so I was going to persecute them. And while I was so engaged, I was journeying to Damascus, with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. So he goes through the chain of command and he's in charge of the, the, a lot of this and he's been kind of zealous for wiping out this, this cult of Christianity that's, that's, uh, the, that they are the Sanhedrin and, and the, the power, the religious powers, they've run head into Jesus and they, they, they are just kind of reeling from that. So he's trying to get rid of it. And so he's under commission from them to go and kind of stamp it out. He's done that. He's been sort of bloody. There were people that he's cast his, his uh, vote to have him killed and executed. And uh, some have been sent to prison. It's been a real harsh thing. He's been very brutal and very sent in a very real way. And so he was under authority to do that. And verse 13 says, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun. That, that is uh, hard to imagine. Because there's nothing that we know of that's brighter than the sun. But here it was, a light from heaven that was brighter than the sun. And it was shining all around me. And those who journeyed with me we were talking this morning about uh, the people that, you know, you have an event take place where not everybody hears the same thing. And their son hears this case. Here's Paul. He, he sees the light. He hears the voice. He understands the voice. It's to him. But there are other people with him. They see the light or they hear something. Uh, but it's, it, they do, they're, not, they're not able to comprehend it. <clears throat> and uh, so he says, and we all had fallen to the ground, and we heard a voice, and I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, and that's a, I, I can imagine that would be an interesting thought for Paul when he hears that, and then it turns out it's Jesus that he's talking to him. Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And uh, I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
So here's here is Paul's commission, and it begins with a direct encounter with the Lord. Um, I have not had a direct encounter like that with a voice from heaven, but I have had a direct encounter in my car in Fulton Park a long time ago when I was having financial struggles in my life. And uh, I remember my grandmother telling me of how the Lord had really helped her when she went through the Depression. Some of you, not all of you are old enough to go through, but some of you perhaps remember the Depression in the 30s where the, the financial institutions, money, people had money and the institutions closed down and they, they lost everything they had in the savings. And it was really a very difficult time for a lot of people. And my grandmother and her sister there in Wake Forest, the Lord helped them through that, and not only helped them through that, but they were able to send three daughters through uh, college, and uh, and she was with them. And so that's that she attributed, and I can remember her doing that, she very clearly attributed God's faithfulness and her provision. And uh, so here's here's this in this uh, uh, example in my life, and so I remember that. So I decided, since I was having some financial problems, which, by the way, were not a result of of the fact that I wasn't making that money was a result of the fact that I was wasting it and not spending it wisely and wouldn't be good. But anyway, that, that didn't occur to my heart then. I just figured I needed more money. So I started having quiet time to try to imitate my grandmother and to, to, to kind of get in on the good side of the Lord so that I might get this financial blessing and be prosperous and be able not to send my uh, kids to, through school, but to be able to pay my bills and stuff like that. To take care of Elaine and Pete, so Peter Lee, so we had this, this, this. I started doing that, and God spoke to my heart. And I was reading a book by Raymond Edmondson called The Disciplines of Life, and he spoke very clearly to my heart. And I remember there, bowing my head and just asking, telling the Lord, I wanted to surrender my life, my mind, my heart, my, my body, everything. I wanted to surrender to Him and give everything to Him. And as soon as I finished that, I knew that my financial the burden of my financial worries was taken care of. That doesn't mean that the bill was not gone. It wasn't. I had to pay it. But the burden, the, the weight of that on my shoulder, and I don't know if you ever have, I'm sure you have financial burdens where you're, like I did in California, where you lay, wake up early in the morning at 3 in the morning and you look at the ceiling, it's black, and you have this rent that's a month past due, and you don't have the money, you don't have the job to take care of, and you're finally trying to find something, you can't get the answer. That's a burden, but that burden, uh, to a large degree, you kind of roll off on the Lord because you're in a circumstance that you're seeking to serve him. And so I knew that the pressure of that burden was relieved. But just like Paul, going to Damascus, I had I met the Lord at that in that situation, and uh, you've met him too if you know the Lord. If you come to a point, and, and uh, it, it is sad that, that it has to be a point of desperation that brings us to the Lord, that, that makes us listen to him. That, that we, don't, we don't just, at least I've never heard a testimony of somebody that said, you know, I was just thinking that how, how wonderful it is to, to, be able to, know, to be able to know God. I'd like to know him, and I know that he's in charge of everything. I know I'm a wicked, hell-deserving sinner, and I just want to give my life to him. I'm, I'm, the Lord can communicate, and he communicates things like this to us, but it isn't that we just happen to be real smart. It is that he is able to break through the hardness and the resistance and the self-centeredness and the wickedness of our heart and open our eyes and help us to see the, the great void, the great need. I have friends. I have friends that are religious. I have friends that are religious and they go to church and listen to Christian music. 
and, uh, and they are good friends, and, and I think a lot of them, but they need to come to the end of themselves so that they're not playing, they're not treating God like a genie, a magic genie. You rub him, stroke him, and then you think you can get what you want. It's not quite that easy. Uh, it's not, it's that the Lord knows our heart, and he knows our motives, and he knows what's in our lives. And so he's bringing us to the point of desperation, where we really come to the end of ourselves and cry out to him. And it doesn't mean, and it didn't in my case, mean that the financial burden went away or the financial problem went away. Uh, I've worked, struggled with finances all my life. I've had, had to, to struggle sometimes. The, the, the present right now is the best I've been financially since I've been married. It's, and that's just because I've, I have a mortgage paid and everything like that and I have a job and I get paid from you guys and then I get paid also at Lowe's. And so it, it provides... Uh, more money than I actually need, really. And uh, so I can use that for doing some other things. I haven't planned a vacation to Europe yet, but I do want to say. So anyway, God is faithful. We reach the end of ourselves. Paul did on the road, road to Damascus. Um, and and uh, so he, Jesus said, I'm the one that you're persecuting. And uh, then he gives instructions. He says, rise up for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, that's kind of the same word, a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which will appear to you. So I am, I am interrupting your life. I am now giving you new instructions and a new direction. No longer are you going to be persecuting me. You're going to be serving me. And I'm going to be rescuing you from the Jewish people and, uh, and also sending you to the Gentiles I'm going to be sending you to them to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light. This whole message is a sermon, but I'm not, I'm trying to get out of doing that. Turn you from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan and the system, the, the Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been separated or sanctified by faith in me. So that, that's Paul's commission. I've had that. And if you know the Lord, you've had something like that, an encounter with the Lord. You inherit your religion. Um, it, if you inherit it, you're still waiting for the conversion because it's not. It, it, it takes place when you personally meet the Savior. And I would encourage you, if you, if you haven't personally met him, to get alone with the Lord, open your Bible and, and read the scriptures and ask the Lord to speak to you through them and really just fall on your face before them when he calls you to do that. You, you don't have to fake it, but if he opens your heart there, you'll, do, you'll know that. And he'll, I'm not talking about some mystical thing, but you'll meet the Lord and he'll, he'll work in your heart. He's so good. He loves you better than you love yourself. He cares for you more than you can care for yourself. Uh, and so that's that's very important, and that's one of the things that really spoke to me. Paul also in verse uh, Acts nine uh, it says that after these uh, scales fell off of his eyes, Acts nine nineteen, um, <clears throat> and he regained his sight. He rose up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. And then for several days he was with the disciples at Damascus. They were kind of just talking, going over these things, and. Uh, fellowshipping and rejoicing together. Uh, but then it says that immediately he began to proclaim Jesus. So he turned around. There's a difference in his life. One of the ways you know that your conversion is real is that it makes a difference in your life. Um, I know that we get 
kind of caught up about doing having the display of miracles today and there's a whole movement that seeks to do all kinds of signs and wonders but the greatest miracle that takes place on the planet today is the conversion of sinners because he completely changes the heart he completely turns around and uh, you 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 can't you you can have a new year's resolution make some kind of a reform but it's not from the heart i remember bruce walker telling us that he said the most miserable I've ever been was when I decided I was going to really live the Christian life and I put forth all the effort I could in that and he said I want to tell you I failed everything was just against me and I sinned here and there my mind was going and I know that I know that experientially my mind is the worst enemy uh, as Luther said I fear my heart more than the car of the room my mind is constantly working all kinds of distractions all kinds of lust all kinds of things that get in my life that shouldn't be there all kinds of wishes plans and uh the, the mind is a seedbed and there's a lot of evil that can take place if it's not under the lordship of christ and so you need to control it and so the bible talks about thinking of these things and putting uh the purifying effect of god's word in your mind in your heart and uh, as we're talking about the the uh, Jews who studied the scriptures, uh, but they didn't get the message. The scriptures told them to seek Jesus, to come to Jesus. They didn't want to do that. They studied the scriptures because they thought the exercise of going through the Bible and going through the Hebrew text and doing this as a divine exercise pleased God so much that they were he was going to just bring them into the kingdom. God says, no, the scriptures and the text have a message. Respond to the message. And you'll be in the kingdom. And they didn't want to respond to the message. They had their own wishes. We can do that. I've done that. You can do that. Don't do it. Then let's go on to the text. This this uh, commission here. I need to hurry. I know I, I get kind of carried away. False um, uh, faithfulness is is mentioned. Um, for example, when he talked to the Ephesian elders, and uh, he he. Uh, they were warning him of the danger that the Holy Spirit was telling them that he was going to be suffering throughout. And uh, he said, I don't, I'm not interested in trying to uh, prolong my life. Uh, I, I want to finish my course and the ministry which I've received of the Lord to testify seriously, solemnly of the grace of God. I didn't come, uh, I'm not going to shrink from declaring you the whole purpose of God. You can talk to me all you want to about the persecution that lies away, but God has given me a commission, and I need to follow that. I need to be obedient to that. That's really, really important. And uh, so uh, we, we're looking this morning also um, in the book of Colossians, where Paul uh, said, for the, sense of, for, the, for the sense in the wisdom of God, the world, and you want to use the word system, that's a good word. The word system of this uh, the, the, since the wisdom of God the world with its wisdom or the system with its wisdom did not come to know God God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached so here's God's wisdom contrasted to the wisdom of the world the wisdom of the system the wisdom of intelligent man right? we, we look at God's things and we sometimes think it's weak Think it's kind of silly, um, maybe even embarrassing. If you're in a public forum and they're talking about things and you're talking to them about Jesus and stuff, it may even seem embarrassing or whatever. You don't want to be foolish, but you want to be clear 
because God will use that. And so he says that uh, the wisdom of this world didn't come to know God. Indeed, the Jews asked for a sign. They, they like the, they asked Jesus, what sign do you give us? And he said, there's no sign we'll give you except you kill and destroy this temple. I'll raise it up in three days. That's the resurrection. The Greeks asked for a sign. The Jews asked for signs. The Greeks are looking for philosophy or wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's a powerful message. That's the message that God has used down through the ages to save those that believe. <coughs> we preach Christ to the Jews. He, yes, is a stumbling block to the Gentiles. Yes, he's foolishness. But to those who are the called, that is, God called them, and he does. They are the called. They, the Jews and the Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I consider your, or consider your calling, brothers, that there are not many wise, according to the flesh, not, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen, he's the one that's on the throne, he's the one that makes the choices. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, that is to expose the lack of wisdom of the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which seem to be strong and the base things of the world and those hated things or despised things or silly things he's chosen, the things that are, are not considered really worthy of contemplation, the things that are not, so that he may abolish the things that seem to be wise in the world's eyes, so that no flesh will boast before God. God's on the throne. He's not going to share his glory with anyone else, and it's helpful for me, and it's helpful for you to remember that in your Christian life. And that's why, well, it's not the main, only reason. That's why we don't put pictures and marquees out here of the pastor and stuff like that, because we don't want to chase people away. <laughs> no, we don't want to glorify ourselves. We don't want to glorify the flesh. That, that's, it, the flesh glorifies itself too easy. Do you want to say that? That's First Corinthians 1. That's it. Not Colossians. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay. Did I say Colossians? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So anyway. Um, Paul's obsession is there that we're not going to glorify the flesh. Uh, we're not going to exalt the flesh. The flesh easy, it exalts itself too easily. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, talking about the being faithful to preach, he says, if I, if I proclaim the gospel, I have nothing to boast for. I am under compulsion. That is a burden to me. Woe is me if I do not proclaim the gospel, or do not voluntarily, but I do it voluntarily. I have a reward, but, but if against my will, I have a stewardship. The same word we looked earlier, entrusted, entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I proclaim the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge. So he said, this ministry I have is not something I'm doing for the money. not something I'm doing to get my name out on the marquee or circulating among the churches so that I'm for grab for the one who wants another preacher. But rather, I'm doing this because I love the Lord. I want to give the gospel and see his people grow. For though I am free from all things, I have made myself a slave from all things. And so this is a burden, and this is what the Lord speaks to me on. I'm, I'm really under the gun when he when Paul was talking about all the things and the hardships that he has gone through. 
uh, and survived. And he said, but such external things, in addition to that, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. I just have to say, I don't have that that daily pressure that he's talking about. And I've asked the Lord, I said, Lord, give me the, the burden of the pressure because that's really important. That's, that's You want that fire. You want to burn out for the Lord. You don't want to just burn up and, and kind of waste away. You want to, you know what I'm saying? You want to burn out. You want to be committed to that. And so he said, he has this daily pressure of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So the message here is really not for you. It's for me. But it does apply to you, and it does apply to both of us, and it's really important. So that is the commission. The next thing is the content there, and we just have to look at that sort of quickly. Um, the verse says, that is the mystery concealed in the past, which has been hidden from the past, past ages and generations, and has now been manifested to his saints, um, to whom God will to make, him, make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so he, he talks here um, about this mystery, and he talks about this, the, the uh, things that are hidden. It's kind of a surprise in a way to think about the fact that God does have things that are hidden. But I was looking at several verses, Deuteronomy 29, 21, talks about, the secret things which belong to Yahweh our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may do all the works of this law. God doesn't tell us everything. In fact, we're going to need all eternity to begin to understand a little bit about the Lord and His graciousness, and we will need that. I can promise you that the one who created the universe, and you look at these stars, billions and billions of, of, of galaxies and stars, and that he created in six days, the, the, his way, you're talking about awesome, that's an awesome creator. I'm glad he's that way. I really am. Our God is so able and so capable and so majestic and so good. And our future with him is so promising. It's just hard to conceive of the greatness of what lies in store for us. But we want to pour our life out now. That's what I do. I want my life to be poured out now. Uh, because that we're talking about being honored that he will honor that 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 time will come uh, and we're not just trying to, to pat ourselves on the back but we want we want to hear words like well done good and faithful servant and the things that you've done for me are being recognized and stuff we want to do that not just for the good for us but because we love him and we want to honor him we want to see his name glorified i struggle with that because there, there are always things that you want in your life and and none of them comes even even anywhere near close to the greatness and the majesty and the glory of honoring him. He's so much better. So, <clears throat> secret things, said Psalm 25 says, the secrets of Yahweh are for those who fear him. And so, Paul's message is this in verse 26. Um, in this, those, under this little section that we're talking about here, the content. Paul's message is, says, the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints. The word there, mysterion, uh, speaks of a person. Now listen, this is, and I'm honestly probably not the best one because I'm not a, a, a scholar here of, of uh, the, the Greek language like I would like to be. I have to rely a lot on other commentaries and other people who deal with the language. But the idea of mysterion, mystery, speaks of a person that is initiated into sacred mysteries. And you can see the kind of the play on words here 
when when Paul is talking about Gnosticism and they have these elevated uh, positions of religious experts there. And so he's talking, kind of making a play on words against that. This word speaks of a person initiated into secret mysteries, uh, which comes from a root word meaning to initiate or learn a secret, a secret or to have a secret of historic knowledge. And so Jason Fawcett and Brown commentary tells us that it refers to the mystery which was once hidden, uh, but now has begun to be revealed. It wasn't something that wasn't there. It was just something that wasn't revealed. And so it's a mystery that was once hidden, but now has been revealed. And it refers to the redemption, which is available to the whole Gentile world as well as to the Jews. And if you know the Old Testament, you go through the Old Testament, you see how God is working through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how he built the kingdom. I'm reading through that right now as we read through the Bible for the, this year. And I'm in that area where he's just coming out of Egypt and Moses is down there. And God is building a kingdom, a nation. And uh, so he's doing that. And it goes on, is the, the text explains, the next text in Colossians 1.27 explains this mystery. It says, Christ in, in you, that is in the Gentiles, he is your hope of glory. He is the hope of glory, Christ in you. And so he's talking to them about that, that that's, that's the hope for the Gentiles. Aren't you glad that God has, has reached beyond the Jewish nation to make the salvation available to the Gentiles as well, to us? So that we stand on a plane that is just as sound and just as um, stable and just as uh, secure as those who, in fact, the Jews, a lot of the Jews perished. They, they didn't, they're not standing on the right foundation. And so it's, it's really, really an important thing. The phrase there in this text, really over the top, the phrase in the text from the ages and generations, according to Alford, um, is ages from, according to, now this is, I'm going to read it twice because it's a, it's a lot of words. According to Alford refers to time um, not hidden from from the time of the ages still what is meant is that the mystery is hidden from the beings living in those ages. The ages are the vast successive periods marked by successive orders of beings and stages of creation. Just remember God measures time in years and months and weeks and stuff like that when he starts using ages a lot of times he's talking about the passage of stages from God's perspective and that could be the eternal perspective and not just space and time. So he measures things in ages, and uh, we can't do that. <laughs> but God is big enough that he can do that without any problem. Mm -hmm. And so the word ends is a word used by the, Gentile, the, the Gnostics for the angelic beings emanating from God. The spirit by which Paul uh, persistently uses in opposition to the Gnostic era already, he said oh, the Gnostic era already beginning among them, He's talking about that where he walks about, he talks about the worship of the angels. Uh, I'll read it again. Uh, he talks about the worship of angels. He teaches that the mystery of redemption is hidden in God's purpose in Christ, alike from the angelic beings. Um, and he gives a reference to Ephesians 3.10 uh, of the pre-Adamic ages from the subsequent human generations. And so what, what he's saying here is that these things are hidden, a lot of the things, the mysteries are hidden from the angels and from the created beings in heaven, that they are learning these things as we are, that they are beginning to see these things as we are, that they didn't know them, and you know how they're getting to be revealed. 
Romans 16, 15, Romans 16, 25 says, Now unto him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the preaching of according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages, but it is revealed, and he tells us that a little bit later on through the church. They uh, made known in Ephesians 3, 12, he said that uh, you might know the things that are made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This is called the manifold wisdom of God, that it might be revealed. So God wants to reveal that, Ephesians 3, 10. Uh, he plans to reveal those things to us. I'm going to stop there. That's the, the uh, place I want to leave off. The next time we're going to be coming to conviction, where he talks about uh, things dealing with every man, and I'll try to get through that quickly. Let me read that that little phrase again in the altar, in case you're struggling with that. I could print it up, but let me just read it. It's from ages, it says he did these things from ages and generations. Um, it says, from the time of the ages, still what is meant is that the mystery was hidden from the beings living in those ages. The ages are the vast successive periods marked by successive orders of beings and stages of creation. The Greek eons, the word used by the Gnostics for angelic beings emanating from God. The spirit of Paul, the spirit by Paul uh, in Persist, persistently in opposition to the Gnostic era already beginning, Colossians 2.18, where he talks about the worship of the angels, teaches that the mystery of redemption is hidden in God's purpose in Christ alike from the angelic beings um, of the pre-Adamic ages and from the subsequent human generations, uh, which um, He's translated ages and generations. He talks about generations as people. So the point is, and I, I know that's confusing, and I'm sorry about that. I just finished pulling that up, and I'm reading that again. But the point is that when he talks about these things as hidden, manifested um, um, in, throughout ages and generations, he talks about through ages and generations, not revealed at that time to the angels and not revealed to the generations of people, but later they are to be revealed. So God has secrets. He has things that he has not revealed even to the angels and to the creation of, of human nation, human beings, but that he's going to reveal these things uh, as time goes on. And a lot of those things are being revealed through Paul's message, Paul's preaching, things that were previously hidden, previously concealed, Things that were in God's plan, they didn't, he's not just changing the plan, but he's just telling us now what's going to happen. And the church is one of the places, uh, in fact, maybe one of the main places where God's revelation of these things is going to be seen. And so we are, in that sense, a display of God's work of grace in bringing the gospel not only to the sons of Abraham, uh, but also to us, the sons of Adam. That, uh, in Christ. And that's a good thing. We are very honored and very privileged. I am convinced that uh, one day we will have the opportunity to stand before some of these angels and tell the greatness of God's grace and mercy expressed to us and how how we deserve, like Nebuchadnezzar talked about, how we deserve the, God's judgment and how he rather exalted us and, and shared his his life and his mercy on us and saved us. He's so good. 
He's so good to do that. And we are part of that. We are part of that. And that's just, that's just really, it's, it's beyond reproach. So anyway, or beyond understanding. So anyway, let me, anything you want to say about that? Because we're getting close to time. Okay. God is, God is good. I'm, I hope I didn't confuse you with that quote there. I'll go through it and see if I missed anything in it. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your, your blessing upon us. Thank you for the gospel. And thank you for how you used this in my life. Uh, you've spoken to me in my work and my responsibility. And I know that you do for that with us. Thank you for our study this morning. Thank you for Pete's message and for the work there in the Gospel of John. And I appreciate that. And thank you for what you're doing on our behalf. Thank you for the church and, and what you've called us to be as a display of your riches and your display of your the, the mystery that you have are now revealing not only to us, <clears throat> but through us, to the angels and to the beings in heaven and uh, as they watch. It's, it's hard to comprehend that. At least it is for me. And uh, yet I know that, that you are awesome and you're great and you don't make mistakes. So I, I pray that you help us to be faithful as witnesses and uh, to walk close to you that we would be I pray that also for our secular job as well. We think about the church but we, we do have responsibilities where we go day by day through people that we meet at school or our neighbors or places that shopping or where we work like in Lowe's or whatever. Help us to be faithful as witnesses with them recognizing that we are your ambassadors we are your voice um, we are there in one sense to straighten out some of the misconceptions that people have they won't know them if we don't tell them and so i pray that you help us to be faithful help me to be faithful with that i pray and uh, just thank you for this time and thank you for your your blessing upon this church and we pray in jesus name thanksgiving amen